Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. My name is Keith Joran, and I'll be serving as guest host for this week's edition, the Two Minutes for Unsportsmanlike Conduct edition. It is Friday, June 3rd, and I'm speaking to you from our studio in the newsroom, a rather empty newsroom, I must say, because we have so many of our colleagues up north covering the re-entry into Fort McMurray. Among those who is on assignment is our regular host, Sarah O'Donnell, which is why you're stuck with me this week. But thankfully, we still have a full panel of guests to help me analyze a pretty odd and interesting week at the legislature. Uh, Directly across from me, we have legislature columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. Right in the middle, as usual, city (laughs) columnist Paula Simons. How metaphoric. Good good morning, Keith. (laughs) Good morning to you. And uh, off to my right, we have uh, legislature reporter Emma Graney. G'day. Every time she says that, my heart goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. I, I think people should know, like, this This isn't a put-on. How she talks every day, all the time. It, it, it is. is. It is. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Talk like it all my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I mentioned, there was definitely some news this week at the legislature. Uh, tempers tend to get a little short towards the end of session. I think we did see a bit of that. Uh, opposition MLAs got a little cross with the government uh, over uh, how it's handling the issue of medically assisted death. And uh, a Wild Rose MLA uh, got slapped with a suspension for a little social media slip up. Um, but it was uh, leader Brian Jean that uh, actually was uh, ended up facing questions over that one. Uh, but before we get to those issues, I think it would be remiss of us if we didn't mention the big re-entry into Fort McMurray. Uh, today is actually the third day of that stage process, and uh, based on the reports we're hearing, things are going pretty well. It's been pretty smooth, a, a minimum of chaos. So the question for you folks, and, and anyone can jump in here, is, you know, it, it's still only two days of this that we've seen, but how important is it that it is going well? How important for the premier is it that they get this right? Well, I I think this is critically important for Rachel Notley because up until now, things have gone pretty well for her politically. But she was taking a lot of heat initially. She and Daniel Larravee, the uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs, who's responsible for sort of the emergency management here, you know, there there were concerns that that it was taking too long to get in. And then there were concerns that it it was, you know, too early to go in. So the fact that it's going this smoothly thus far is very good news for them politically. It's even better news for the people of Fort McMurray for whom it's going smoothly. Uh, of course, yes. And the thing is, uh, Notley got uh, like two thumbs up from most people for her handling of the emergency at the very beginning. She did those daily um, scrums or briefings, rather, sometimes twice a day, did really well, and she became the go-to person in the public's eye, I think, in terms of how are they doing in terms of fighting the fire and the evacuation. So, But I think it still goes to an issue. This may be the more difficult phase now. It's one thing to actually deal with an emergency, but it's by throwing people and money at it. Now the question becomes, um, th- there'll be questions popping up now on uh, on the rebuilding of Fort McMurray. Yes. And don't forget, Brian Jean, leader of the opposition, the Wild Rose is from Fort McMurray. He lost his house in the fire. So he has skin in the game personally. He knows what they're going through in Fort McMurray. So he has a pretty big club to hit the government over the head if he really wants to, if these things don't fall into place over the summer. Yeah, as you said, it's it's uh, easy, I guess, in some respects to respond to an emergency. Not easy, but that was only a month. Now we're looking at months, years potentially of rebuild. But I have to th- say, too, you know, I mean, we give credit to the politicians. I think it's really important that we give credit to the professional civil service behind the scenes. For sure. I mean, we've put a lot of emphasis on the firefighters, but the you know the mechanics of getting this done 
have been handled very smoothly. At a time when people are naturally frustrated and naturally frightened, I think that the fact that there have been very few bureaucratic slip-ups is a real credit to the, you know, to the professional civil service who were many of them in place long before Rachel Notley was elected. And I think that it, it, it is really worth saying, I think it's been a real credit to the way the province functions, that we've functioned this well. It was important for the government to appear competent on this. Yeah. But the NDP being attacked on the carbon tax and other issues out there by the opposition, the government had to show it was competent in an emergency evacuation and fighting the fire, that it had to be shown it was doing something right. So you can see the actual core of government, as Paula says, is still working quite well, and the Premier handled it quite well. So I think this is a case where they may be getting attacked on policy issues when it comes down to actually helping Albertans in time of crisis. The government was there for them. Yeah, and I guess we'll see, you know, how long that the halo lasts for, from this, if in fact it continues to go well. Um, but let's uh, let's move on. Let's move from the wildfire to the wild rose. Yes, I, I wrote that segue <laughs> all by myself. Very clever. <laughs> I know. I stayed up all night writing that one. I think it's been fair to say it's been a pretty tough week for uh, party leader Brian Jean. It's been he, a thorny week. A thorny week. He uh, he returned to Fort McMurray where he's expected to welcome people home, even though his own home is burned to the ground. And that's got to be kind of tough enough. But then, you know, back in Edmonton with his own party, there's another kind of fire burning there uh, that uh, that might be getting a little out of control for him. But uh, Emma, maybe you can kind of take us through a little bit of the background of this, because it, it all started with a finance critic named Derek Fildebrand. It, yeah, that that it did. Now, it all started when, uh, when Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne came and said, hello, everybody, I'd like to come to Alberta and sit in your beautiful legislative building. And uh, she was welcome to the house, although she wasn't necessarily welcome to the house all that nicely by the Wild Rose Party, who were throwing all kinds of heckles at her and uh, questioning her finance policy in Ontario. Uh, in particular, Derek Fildebrand took the lead on those questions and was quite, what's the word we should use, guys? Rude? Snotty? Inappropriate? So it, there you go. That's Intense, yeah. He, you know, <laughs> There are some questions there that weren't the nicest, perhaps. Um, the tone itself, they did end up apologising for the tone. Now, the problem came after that where a um, one of Derek's voters or, you know, constituents, fans, fans yeah. fanboys, um, he wrote something on Facebook and it, it was widely seen as a homophobic slur against Kathleen Wynne, who was obviously openly gay. And Derek Fildebrand replied, great to have, uh, great to have constituents like you. That night he was uh, suspended by Brian Jean and they said, no, 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 Derek, tut, 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 bad Derek. So he was apparently suspended from the Wild Rose Caucus. But that wasn't quite the end of the story. That, no, that, it was not the end of the story. That decision by Brian Jean turned out to be maybe not the most popular within his party. He might have misjudged things a little bit. A uh, little bit. Yes. Yeah, the, the fallout from that was people from uh, Derek's constituency association, lots of Wild Rose supporters were like, boo, Brian, bring back Derek, bring back Derek, we heart Derek. Yeah, Nezra Levant of the Rebel began a national campaign for you know for all the people who are his supporters who didn't know who Derek Fildebrandt was from a hole in the ground before this happened. You know, Derek Fildebrandt is always very spiky and very combative on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook. In this particular instance, I don't really think for one minute that as rude as he was to Kathleen Wynne in the House, that he would have in his right 
you know, engaged mind have endorsed this really very nasty comment from one of his people on his Facebook page. I believe him when he says he didn't read it properly and he just went, you know, thank you for that, you know, for your support without really reading what the guy had said. There was a lot of a lot of um, support from him, from colleagues um, and, on, know, on Twitter and people who are openly gay who have said they've told um, Derek Fildebrand that they've come out as gay and he is no homophobe. There was a lot of commentary right. I mean, on that. I mean, even, even Shannon Phillips, the New Democrat cabinet minister, had said, you know, she, she believes his apology. That said, things like this are never about what they're seemingly about. Um, Derek Fildebrand is a hothead. He's often been far more inappropriate than this frankly on on social media you know it, it say in his attacks on uh conservative uh mla sandra jansen which have really i think on a couple of occasions crossed the line of what's politically prudent uh and you know there was the time that he attacked globe and mail reporter carrie tate in the middle of a brian jean scrum i don't mean physically attacked i mean um you know refused to talk refused to, her. to talk to her and insulted her in front of the whole rest of the press corps uh so i think this has been this has been boiling up in that party for some time the tensions and the dominant struggle between well, between Brian Jean and Derek Fildebrand. Well, well, Graham, take us through what happened next, because uh, Monday comes around, the Wild Rose holds a caucus meeting. Brian Jean comes out to explain what's going yeah. on with and Derek he's Fildebrand. Saying, he's saying, okay, fine, there'll be uh, some commitments, some, some conditions. So he'll be back really quickly. We love him. He's a member of our family. So only a few days he'll be brought back. So there were some commitments or conditions put out there. He wouldn't say what they were. The media found out from sources those conditions on Filterband was you would no longer be finance critic, that uh, you have to uh, stay out of the session for the rest of the session until it wrapped up later this month in, in June. He'd be on probation until um, September. And also um, he would have to take some sort of personal improvement classes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, so, so these conditions, but the thing is, the party was rallying behind Fildebrand, not behind Brian Jean. They thought that Brian Jean had actually overreacted, so the pressure was on Brian Jean to do something. And uh, Wednesday, they announced, in fact, he was coming back. He, the suspension, the so-called suspension, was being lifted. He'd be allowed back in. And the one condition he had met was he'd be getting a social media manager. We were questioning what, what were the other conditions, and the Wildrose said reports of those conditions were inaccurate in oh the media. Blame the media. Blame the media. So the thing is, we were thinking, okay, this, this means that there were conditions put out, Fildebrand did not meet them, and Gene uh, had to still back down. So it appeared to be an issue about leadership, that Brian Gene was trying to rein in Fildebrand, and it completely went sideways, and, and it blew back in Brian Gene's face. He had lost this showdown. Fildebrand was coming back on his own terms. So that was the public narrative that was out there. But by then, when the media began reporting that narrative, is when the Wild Rose then quietly began doing a counter-narrative by calling people up. I talked to them. They said, actually, what had happened was that you know, they really were trying to rein in Fildebrand. And Paul is right. They had these series of missteps on social media. He was, after that thing with uh, that, <clears throat> that controversy involving Win, Premier Wynn on the Thursday, they told all the MLAs and caucus, this, don't say anything, don't talk to the media, just shut up, nobody's so social media, anything, just be quiet, let this thing blow over, over the weekend, because they were being attacked by people who thought the Wild Rose was being very crass in the House. They all agreed, except for Filderbrand, who went back on social media. Mm. And that really irritated people, apparently not just Gene, but people in the caucus who were thinking, 
Builder Ben is a hothead and he's thin-skinned. And he's showboating. <coughs> exactly. And so they were, they were all told, <coughs> keep your heads down. He didn't. He refused. So that's what led to this suspension. It was an informal telephone conversation. 18 members, not all of them, 18 members agreed that he should be suspended. And that means it's not an expulsion. He was not expelled. Um, so the narrative here was, according to people in the Wild Rose Party, this fight was not about Brian Jean's leadership. It was about Derek Filderbrand's immaturity. The problem is, of course, that what the blowback exposed are deep schisms in that party, uh, which are not new. I mean, this is the thing that led to Danielle Smith leaving her own party in the end. Uh, there is that fissure between the people who want the party to be a moderate option as an alternate government and people who want them to be uh, as far to the right as you can get on Alberta's political spectrum. Yeah. I mean, in, in a strange way, uh, Brian Jean has the same dilemma that Rachel Notley does. Uh, if you want to be a pragmatic party that has a chance at governance, you have to moderate some of your policies. You know, this is what Notley tried to tell the Leap Manifesto people when they had their national convention here. You know, so Brian Jean has the parallel, you know, mirror image problem. Uh, lots of people who were supporting Derek Fildebrandt thought that saying homophobic things about Kathleen Wynne was just fine. You know, in some ways, those people were not exactly helping Mr. Fildebrandt. You know, uh, Derek was on social media apologizing for what he said, and other people were saying, oh, you know, or what he accidentally said. Uh, and other people were saying, no, 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 don't back down. You were, you know, you're absolutely right the first time. So uh, it, it is a very difficult thing when you're a party that does not come from the center to figure out how you tack to the middle for power without alienating that base note of people whose views are not mainstream. It's probably so, sorry, the, the, oh no, he's uh, back now. Yeah, I was going to say he's back. He came back on Thursday. So this, the so-called power struggle that they're trying to, to diffuse, at least the public perception of it, um, we'll see more things roll out. That the Wild Rose is saying that you know they want to talk about the commitments, the conditions. But one of them, of course, was that Filterbrand would no longer be finance critic. And I've been told to watch that one. In fact, there may be a shuffle coming up of the shadow cabinet where Filderbrand will be bounced. And if that happens, then you know in a sense that there was actually a, a bit of a power struggle and it, and it wasn't Gene who lost, it was Filderbrand. We'll see how Filderbrand responds uh, in the weeks and months to come. He's back in the house. He came back yesterday. I had to laugh at that because we were told he's coming back on Monday and he shows up Thursday with basically with no announcement at all that he's showing up. And of course, most of the media is not there to greet him. Right. Yeah, we, we were, there were a few of us there to, to greet him. Welcome back, Derek, we said. <laughs> um, and yeah, he did say that he is still the finance critic. He, no, he is right now. And he, yeah, right now. Um, he said that he supports Brian Jean 100% and he classed the whole thing as a family falling out and there were some hurt feelings on both sides. That's basically what happened, everybody. So it's, it's fine. Just nothing you know, to see here. Nothing to move see here. Turn on. On. Move, yeah. move along, people. Move yeah. along. Yeah, interesting. Well, let's switch topics. Uh, I'd like to move now to medically assisted death. Uh, it's obviously a very complicated and emotional issue for many, but uh, things got really, really charged on this in the legislature this week. Uh, Emma, maybe you can take us through what happened. Why did opposition MLAs get so riled up? Sure. Well, the government has um, finally introduced regulations about or how this is how we're going to deal with um, assisted death in Alberta. This is what we're going to do. This is the way we're going to approach it. Now, it's not so much the issue of um, assisted death, although some MLAs did get up 
and say this is a terrible thing we shouldn't be doing it of course they have absolutely no say in it now whatsoever but the problem it seems to be is that the government knew this was coming they've had months to come up with something and yet they've waited until the last minute in order to release these regulations not giving anyone time to discuss them to get input into them and the opposition particularly Rick McIver got up I I mean Rick McIver doesn't mince words very often let's be honest he's he's pretty uh, forthright in uh, in his <laughs> statements <a> <laughs> often. Um, he threw his copy of this motion on the table and just said it was disgusting and despicable and the worst political manipulation he's ever seen. He was very riled up about the whole thing because he, like a lot of the opposition, just thought the government should have given Albertans more time to discuss this, to see what was on the table when it comes to uh, physician-assisted death in Alberta. You know, the government... They were really caught in a very difficult position because they assumed, not unreasonably, that the federal government would actually have some legislation in effect. And here we are recording this on Friday. Uh, the Supreme Court's deadline is this Monday. And it's clear that the federal government is not going to have legislation in effect. So I think the NDP here made the mistake of waiting until, I mean, they thought they would wait to see the federal legislation because they didn't want to put anything in regulations that was going to be contradicted by the federal legislation. And you can have some sympathy with that. But I think that they have handled this very badly because behind the scenes, we know that the College of Physicians and Surgeons and the College of Pharmacists and the College of Nurses and Alberta Health Services have actually been working on protocols, which could have been more publicly discussed. And I think not only did the NDP handle things badly by creating the impression that they were throwing these regulations together at the last minute, which is in fact not true, but was the appearance that it gave. Uh, but you know, they said to me, oh, well, we're the only province that's even having this debate. So see how much forwarder we are. We're the only people who are actually going to the opposition and asking them for their input. But it was so patently obvious that the regulations had already been drafted without the opposition input that it just looked like the fakest piece of political theater rather than a legitimate attempt to have you know a good public discussion about how we handle this very, very tricky ethical, legal, moral, medical situation, which will be upon us on Monday, no matter what. Yeah, it was interesting to me listening to a bit of that debate that the debate was not so much on what the regulations say or what Alberta is going to do, but on the fact that the government released it to the opposition so at, so at the last minute of the spring session, right, and right before the Supreme Court deadline. No, and there are some significant problems. For example, I mean, uh, when the Carter decision, which is the Supreme Court decision on, uh, on assisted dying, comes into effect on Monday, it will indemnify physicians against criminal prosecution. But there's nothing in Carter about the pharmacists who will be required to provide the drugs. And so, I mean, I know from the people I spoke to this week that the College of Pharmacists is very concerned and has gone to Alberta Justice to say, okay, well, what happens if the doctor comes to me for drugs? I mean, what what is my legal responsibility and what, what's the potential for prosecution? The other issue that the province has really not worked out, I think, to anyone's satisfaction is what happens in communities where Covenant Health, the Catholic Health Board, runs the only hospitals or the only palliative care. Um, uh, we're told that, uh, that no Covenant facility will be required to refer anyone, but instead to transfer them. Um, this is 
a semantic distinction which is to me still very murky <laughs> I, think, I have a question actually a question for paula um if there's no law on monday is that sort of like then it's a wild west and involving physicians assisting people in suicide or death well different legal and medical experts have different opinions about this i mean the rules are are laid out in carter which say that you know that the suffering must be irremedial and extreme and the College of Physicians and Surgeons here regulates what doctors do. So it's not that, you know, everybody can go around killing everybody on Monday. But, um, you know, there is a there is a framework provided by Carter and there, there are regulations on the profession provided by the colleges. But, um, yes, <laughs> in answer to your question, <laughs> um, sort of yes. Uh, and... The challenge is, even if the Senate eventually, if, if the Senate amends the federal legislation and it then comes back to the House, I mean, whatever is passed may not actually conform with Carter because Bill C-14, which is the federal legislation, you know, some people, including I think Alberta's Court of Appeal, would argue that the legislation is drafted may in fact be unconstitutional. So we could be at this for some time yet, figuring out how this is really going to work. Right. Well, that was uh, that was an interesting turn of events in in the last days of the of the session. We, we were actually supposed to end the session on Thursday, but I understand we're going to get a little over time. We sure are. Yeah. Why is that? Yay. Um, because of the climate change plan, so that's Bill 20, the uh, the Wild Rose, and, and in fact, I guess the pieces as well, have both said, we are going to keep on debating this thing. We don't like it. We don't like anything about it. There have already been... Jeez, I think five or six amendments proposed and all of them voted down. Uh, Nathan Cooper from Wild Rose said uh, on Thursday, well, you know what? There are going to be some long nights next week. I'm taking that to mean kind of 2 a.m. They're just going to keep on banging on, try and putting in as many amendments as, as they possibly can. They hate this thing. Um, and, you know, unicorns came up. Cauliflowers came up in the discussion. Unicorn yeah. farts <laughs> came up. American Pie by Don McLean. <laughs> uh, I mean, weird things have come up in this whole discussion. I now have this image of unicorns with cauliflowers impaled on their horns. That's a fabulous <laughs> image. <laughs> the bill I'm, I'm hoping that people are riding them into the legislative building. The thing is, the bill even is called okay, the Climate Leadership Implementation Act. Yeah, yes. Right. It really should be called the Carbon Tax or the Carbon Tax Act. Right. And this is the hill to die on for the government. It's a hill to die on for the wild rose, which is why this is taking so long. Because the government's all about um, climate change and fighting climate change and getting that social license to get more pipelines built, and they see themselves doing the right thing for all kinds of reasons, then you have the wild rose thinking this is a great political fight. Also, they they believe in it ideologically. Carbon tax, bad idea. You know, so you've got these two sides that don't want to, you know, um, in a sense, find any middle ground because the NDP is fixed in, in its position, and so is the wild rose. Ultimately, of course, the NDP has a majority government, and they will push this through. And there have been some amendments. I don't see the government amending this to any great degree because they feel they have the angels and the unicorns on their side. <laughs> oh, it came up again. Oh, there you have it. <laughs> Should maybe rename it to the unicorn edition. I really uh, hope you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we just call it the you know, suspended disbelief edition. Ah, uh, there we go. Okay. Well, that one could apply to a many episodes, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yes. 
Uh, well, we'll now wrap up with our regular feature, Good Stuff from the Gallery, where we share some interesting things for you to read or watch or listen to. Uh, so we'll start with Graham. What have you got this week? Uh, mine is completely non-political, gives you a break. It's um, a BBC podcast called The History of the World in 100 Objects. I mentioned this as a book a year or two ago. It's a great book, but the podcast, the original podcast is out there. It is wonderful. It's like little five-minute, ten-minute uh, nuggets. They've got 100 items following the history of the world, uh, of mankind, of civilization, basically, and they explain it in great, wonderful detail. So it's 100 objects uh, show the world history. All right. Well, that sounds quite interesting. Uh, mine this week is a article from Colby Kosh in uh, the National Post uh, titled, At some point, people will tire of being urged to progress while being told that none has ever happened. And it's just a very interesting take on the rise of the extreme right, uh, not just in Canada and the United States, but uh, in other par parts of the world as well. It's just a kind of a different approach to it than I've seen. Uh, Paula, what about you? Well, last weekend I had the honor of co-hosting the National Newspaper Awards, which are like Canada's version of the Pulitzer Prize. They were held in Edmonton, uh, and it was quite an inspiring event because you got to see some of the really fabulous journalism that's been done in Canada this year, despite all of the uh, obstacles that have been thrown in the face of journalists. Uh, and of all the work that was nominated, I want to single out a piece, uh, a series that was done by our former Edmonton Journal colleague, Renata Delicio, who's now working for the Globe and Mail. Uh, it was in a remarkable uh, investigative piece into um, the uh, soldiers returned from Afghanistan who were committing suicide, the fact that nobody was tracking the numbers of, of those suicides, and Renata did some extraordinary investigation to get the data and then some really beautiful human stories about some of those soldiers and their families. Uh, and it won the prize for uh, uh, investigative journalism of the year, and if you didn't read it, the last time I recommended it, I'm going to recommend it again. <laughs> it was good enough to recommend twice. There Absolutely. they go. Yeah, no, it was tremendous work for sure. Uh, Emma, what about yourself? Uh, just basically, uh, having been um, covering those fires when they first started happen happening, when they first started, there we go, uh, just reading the stories of return up there from Fort McMurray have really been, they've been hitting me right in the feels, I'm going to be honest, and every single story that's coming out of Fort Mac right now has just been, yeah, something to behold. Yeah, I think uh, our uh, colleagues up there have been doing some tremendous work. They really for, have. For yeah. sure. Uh, well, that's it for this week. Uh, thanks to Graham, Paula, and Emma for joining me in the newsroom studio. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get a videographer to film our conversation They're this week. They're all in Fort McMurray. They're all up there. All, every single one. Not quite, but pretty close. Yeah, I didn't um, even bother showering because no, I knew this wasn't going to be video. That's so. right. I was just going to tell people that they're, they're going to have to picture us in their heads, mm -hmm. uh, but now maybe not uh, after <laughs> that. But <laughs> so, uh, If you like this episode, check out some of our previous editions of the podcast at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion or through the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. The show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Tune Radio. Uh, thanks to Sarah for letting me guest host this week. Not that she really had a choice. Uh, <laughs> she will hopefully be back in the big chair uh, for the next episode when hopefully, hopefully, we can give you a wrap-up on what has been a truly extraordinary spring session. We'll see you next time in the press gallery. <laughs>